you have your Bibles, would you open up to Jeremiah chapter 1? Going to Old Testament here, Jeremiah chapter 1. While you're doing that, I'm going to ask for our First Impressions team to come forward. And they're going to pass baskets. And inside those baskets are communion elements. So if you would grab those elements, uh, you can put that in the rack in front of you. You can hold on to it, set it aside. We're going to take communion at the very end of the service. And if you are brand new, we want to welcome you. And, and if you want to join us at the Lord's table, you're more than welcome to join us to the Lord's ta- at the Lord's table at the end of the service. Uh, we invite everybody to come to communion. To me, if you're away from God, it's one of the best times to come together and to, to get reconnected to Jesus. So please take the, those elements. We'll use them at the very end of the service. Uh, for those of you that helped out during the Awaken Conference over the past 48 hours, it has been a whirlwind of missions, and we haven't even started preaching on missions yet. Um, it's been just an amazing conference for everybody who helped from worship team to tech to greeting to prayer. Uh, then some of y'all jumped in and helped with cleanup and straightening things up uh, after I mean, we had, what, two, three hundred people that were here um, learning about missions, people being called into missions. Uh, it was just a powerful weekend. And I am somewhat exhausted. At the same time, I didn't have to do anything the whole weekend. I was the host pastor. They had me pray. And then at one point, I started cleaning up because I'm like, I need to do something. Um, It was just such an amazing, amazing weekend. Um, And I'll be honest, it's been a little bit of a tough week. Um, Here at K-First, by the way, if you're new, my name is Pastor Dave. I should have introduced myself. I'm the pastor here. Uh, But we've had a little bit of of a heavier week. And Scripture tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 15, that we are to Mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. Um, beginning of this week, uh, one of our own, um, uh, Josh Fuzzle, his, my, he's my son-in-law, his grandmother passed away. Um, and so that's how the week kind of started. And then on Friday morning, there's a couple I've been working with for premarital counseling. Uh, they come up from Three Rivers, and a um, young lady named Amy called, contacted me, and her fiancé lost his life in a car accident. And then last night, uh, one of her own, uh, Jeff Meeker, who fills this pulpit faithfully, um, serves this congregation, has been on our board. His father went to be with Jesus last night. And so, um, Jeff, if you're watching right now, your church families, we stand with you. Josh, obviously, your church family stands with you. And uh, Amy, if you happen to be watching from Three Rivers, this family stands with you. We, we don't let people hurt on their own. And we are, we're family. We preached about that last week. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so could we just pray over them right now and just speak blessings over them? Jesus, Lord, I think of Moses standing over an army in Old Testament times, just standing with his arms uplifted. And there seemed to be victory won. But when he got tired and he got weary and his arms dropped, it seemed like all was going to be lost until Aaron and her got on the other side and lifted up his arms so that victory could be assured. And so today, Lord, like Aaron and her, Lord, we want to be that for these families and these individuals. Lord, in the middle of just tragedy, in the middle of the unexpected, we want to be the body of Christ standing underneath those arms, ready to hold them up. Your promise is this, is there is a blessing for those who mourn, and the blessing is comfort. That is not a suggestion, that is a promise from the Most High that we can have comfort in the middle of our mourning. So Lord, upon the Fuzzle family, upon Amy, upon Jeff and the entire Meeker family, 
we speak the blessing, comfort of the Holy Spirit all over their lives and their hearts, oh God. These are our brothers and our sisters, and we believe that you can meet them in this place, and that your presence, God, can soothe some wounds, God. Your presence, Lord, can bring healing and bring peace. So, Lord, we just trust you with these moments, God, knowing that in you, we know that we have hope. Because we're not like those who mourn without hope. We have hope and we have trust in you. So we lean into you in this time. We speak your blessing upon these families. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And I said, uh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. My cousin Vinny would say, I'm a youth. Some of you don't get that joke whatsoever. That's fine. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth, and he said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. I'll be honest. In my neighborhood, when you're talking about throwing down with somebody, that's probably not what God is talking about here. But God gives a word to, get this, a 20-year-old young man. Sometimes we think of prophets, we think of somebody that has a lot of age and maturity and years. This 20-year-old is called by God to a nation that would end up reaching nations. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the day you have given me. I know I can rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, that promise is not just for me, but God, but, but God, for every single one of us. That we can rejoice and be glad in every day because of our salvation that we find in you. So we say, Lord, speak. Your servants are listening and we're ready to respond and obey to whatever you direct us to. As you lead us into a very missions-oriented series. To let our heart beat for what your heart beats for. Lord, take whatever you have, the burden that you have for lives, and place it in our hearts. That we would never look at our world the same again. We speak that all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, give somebody an awkward high five and have a seat. There's, there's not a lot of Latin that I throw at this congregation. Do you know why? Because I don't know it. So, but there's two words that have been very pivotal for me in my life and my journey of, of following Jesus. And every once in a while I will use those terms and someone will say, I've heard you use those words before. But I want to get them deep down in the heart of this congregation. And the words are Imago Dei and Missio Dei. Imago Dei is important because it, it literally means the image of God. It's a great little note to write on the inside of your Bible. It's a great little note to kind of have remembered that we are Imago Dei. And what I love about Imago Dei, it is the reminder that you and I were made in the image of God. 
And so when we talk about the image of God, we talk about being Imago Dei, it's, the, it's recognizing that you were all made in the image of God. That every human being was made in the image of God. So if there's Republicans you don't like, remember, they were made in the image of God. If there are Democrats you don't like, they were made in the image of God. Joe Biden was made in the image of God. Uh, President Trump was made in the image of God. I should have said President Biden, President Trump. Someone's going to write me about that one right there. But nevertheless... They're all made in the image of God. And so when we talk about the image of God, it would stay our, should stay our hearts from ever hating another individual. It should stay our hearts away from ever having any type of racist approach to anybody. Why? Because when you're showing hate toward an individual, you are bringing hate against somebody that has been made in the image of God. And the reality is, is they probably just don't know it yet. And then we get Missio Day, which is the mission of God. That when we understand that we are Imago Dei, when we understand we are Imago Dei, immediately that puts us into a place where we have a message. Because when you understand that I'm made in the image of God, you understand that fully through Christ. All of a sudden within you gets a message. So you get the image that leads you to a message. And once you get that message in your heart, now you want to go on mission to tell people that they too were made in the image of God and they need to know the God for which they were made in His image. We are a people that were meant to be in Missio Dei. That's why the whole series is called Missio Dei. It's to get deep inside of our hearts that you and I have to live in the mission of God. Now when we talk about the greater church, the Big C Church, we have to understand the Big C Church is built with three pillars. And these three pillars have to be very prevalent in every single church. They should be, but unfortunately they're not always there. The three pillars are simply this, presence, formation, and mission. Now, I consider us a charismatic church. We are a church that believes in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the move of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are surprised right now because you visited twice. And you're like, oh, wait, wait. They're one of those crazy Pentecostals. I promise you, we don't bring the snakes out. We are not that type of Pentecostal. We don't have chandeliers to swing from. We don't. Remember the day we talked about roller skating and Pentecostals? I still don't know what that fully means. Uh, but we believe in the move and the fullness of the Spirit according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit being utilized. And when people ask me, are you a charismatic church? I say yes. And they're like, well, how many gifts do you, al do you allow on a Sunday morning? And my approach is this. Is you know what? Gifts are okay on a Sunday morning. Gifts are better outside of Sunday morning. The essence of being a charismatic or a Pentecostal Christian is recognizing the Spirit of God should not be limited to the building itself. And so we are always going to be a church of the presence of God. I want to be seeking after the presence of God. And yet, I want to make sure that we have formation. Formation. Some churches will focus purely on formation and they don't focus on presence. Why? Because they don't want things to get weird. It's true. And so they'll focus fully on formation, but yet there are some, some charismatics, they'll focus just on presence and not on formation. I'm here to say this, that when you come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't want you to stay childish. You can have childlike faith, but not be childish in your faith. He wants you to grow and have your lives formed. That's why Pastor Kevin has the job that he has. He is helping you to build and to help form your lives. We offer trainings. We offer opportunities to grow, opportunities to serve. Because it helps form your life. Because the purpose is so that we don't stop there, but that we live our lives on mission. A church that doesn't live on mission is one generation away from being extinct. 
We have to be a people on mission because we serve a God that is on mission. We just came out of an amazing conference. In fact, the first message of the whole conference talked about the Great Commission, which we know in the most part, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Mark chapter uh, 16, verse 15, go into all the world and make disciples. We know the Great Commission. And he built it off of Genesis chapter 12 and the idea, the Great Commission is what God gave to us starting in Genesis 12 and work through the rest of the Bible all the way into the book of Revelation. And I don't disagree with them, but I want us to understand that God's mission did not begin in Genesis 12. It actually began in the beginning of humanity. Genesis chapter 1, we have creation. Genesis chapter 2, we have the formation of man and woman and then them coming together. And then we get Genesis chapter 3, and it's such a pivotal chapter because we know Genesis chapter 3 because we call that the fall of man. So if you took time to study Genesis 3, you're going to see in verses 1 through 7 what we call the collapse of man. Why do I write it that way? Because I needed another C word. Fall of man did not start with the letter C and I wanted the C words in this thing. So I brought the collapse of man. Humanity looked at what God wanted and said, we are going to do what we want. Which never happens with any one of us, does it? We have the collapse of man. Then we get the verse 8 through 13 and we've got what's called the confrontation of man or God's confrontation, what did you do? God knew what they did. What did you do? And all of a sudden you got Adam is like, listen, you gave me this woman. This is your fault, God. And, and woman's like, the devil made me do it. And everyone's blaming each other. Nobody's owning it. And then we have this confrontation. And then we get to verse 14 through 20. And we have what's called the consequences of sin. How many of you know that you can be forgiven for a sin, but there's sometimes there's consequences that linger? Like right now is tax season. How many are excited for tax season? And listen, if you cheat on your taxes, which you should not do, did you know there's forgiveness in Christ for that? Do you know where there isn't forgiveness for that? By the IRS. You cheat on your taxes, Jesus may forgive you, but the IRS, they're not, they, they don't think like Jesus. If you're in the IRS this morning, I love you, God bless you. <laughs> Blessings on your life. But then we get to verse 21, and here's where we see the missio day of God. The missio day. Because they are in their shame. They have grabbed fig leaves to cover themselves up. Which, by the way, sin will make you stupid and make you grab the itchiest leaves known of that time and throw them on your body. That's literally what they did. And they're covering themselves up. Why? They're trying to cover up their shame. And so God does this simple act. It seems like such a superfluous detail that doesn't seem like much until you look at it through different eyes. And it says in verse 21 that God made clothing from skins and placed it upon them. It's like, okay, so God clothed them. But you have to look deeper and realize that God had to kill an innocent animal that, that, that had no sin, had no defect. God slaughtered a simple animal so that their shame could be covered. God sees their shame and he doesn't point at them and said, you got to walk around like that so everybody knows that you have sinned. What he does immediately is he responds out of love and grace and covers their shame. What do we see? We see Jesus who scripture says was the spotless lamb slain for your sin and my sin. So that when we were dead in our transgressions, when our lives were stained with sin, that Jesus, the innocent lamb, was his life was laid down and killed and given for us that we might have life. So that his blood, his life covers our life and takes away our sin and our shame. 
And so from Genesis chapter 3, we get the mission of God. And so from that moment, God has had this mission to rescue and to redeem humanity for every single person that thinks that God is far off. You remember that horrible 80s song? And it's hard for me to say because the 80s is the best decade of music imaginable. Not the 90s. That's where music went to die was the 90s. I'll be honest. Except for rap. That's when it came alive. But there's a song that said, he loves us from a distance. Y'all remember that song, From a Distance? I think it was, was it Bette Midler? Lord, mercy. God doesn't love us from a distance. God loves us up close. And when we were broken in our humanity, he didn't stand far off and scold us. He came down to us and he covers us. And he's been on mission from Genesis to Revelation until when everything is redeemed in the new heavens and new earth. He is on mission to rescue that which is lost. And that's what brings us to Jeremiah because he starts, he calls Jeremiah and he's like, listen, do you realize you have a mission? And that's the question I've had to ask myself and I ask you this morning. Do you realize you are on a mission? Do you realize it this morning? You're on a mission. There's two questions I want you to write down today because I think they will actually enhance your marriage, your relationship. Kids in here, it'll enhance your relationship with your parents and vice versa with your kids. Here's two questions. If you ever want to grow a relationship a little bit deeper, two questions I want you to ask is what are you up to? What you up to? And the next question is how can I help? Ever asked that to somebody before? Like, I don't ask my spouse that, then they will give me something to do. Well, yes, that's all good. But it shows that you see them, that you care for them, and not only are you inquiring about what they're up to, but you involve yourself by being a part of whatever they're up to. I love getting those questions as pastors. It happens all the time. Hey, pastor, what's the church up to and how can I help? And immediately, hey, we need help with tech. We need help on the worship team. We need help with next generation. We need first impressions. And all of a sudden, people just jump up and they rise up. They get involved. And all of a sudden, the mission of God begins to grow because people start involving themselves in lives. And all of a sudden, pastor, I'm meeting people. I'm getting connected. I found brothers and sisters. I found an accountability partner. Starts growing simply because they ask two questions. And I'm here to say this, that this morning what I want to develop in the heart of this community is I want to have what I call a missional imagination. And what I mean by that is that we will get the guts to ask God these two questions. God, what are you up to and how can I help? Some of you, you only judge your workplace by everything that you have experienced from people and the junk and the, the monotony and everything else. Some of you look at the world only through the eyes of Fox News or CNN telling you what's wrong and who to blame. But what if we were to begin to develop a different type of imagination, not by what people have formed, but by simply asking God, God, I'm going to work. What are you up to at my work? How can I help? God, what are you up to in my neighborhood? What are you up to in my community? How can I help? What are you up to in my marriage? God, do something about it. No, 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 no. How can I help? What would this world look like if we just got this new imagination? Instead of thinking about everything that's wrong, God, you've got me on mission. How do I figure out? Lord, tell me what you are up to. What are you doing in my marketplace? What are you doing in my workplace? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing in my kids? What are you doing in my parenting? What are you doing in my parents? And God, how can I be a part of that mission? 
But the problem is, is many of us struggle with missional imagination because we have what I call temple spirituality. And what temple spirituality is, temple spirituality is when, we're, when we limit God's activity, or himself, his activity, and the mission of God to the four walls of the building. And we get that idea from the days of the Old Testament because the temple was important. Going to church was important. Can I say this? Going to church is important. Lord have mercy. Going to church is important. Gathering is important. Getting together and fellowshipping is important. Not leaving right away and meeting one another is important. That was the weakest one out of all of them. But there was this idea that came from the Old Testament because the presence of God was behind a veil with the Ark of the Covenant. And so that, it's a, the temple was where heaven and earth met together. Heaven impacted earth. But they went to one location because that's only where God can work. And we've carried that into us. That Jesus comes along. And Jesus becomes the new temple. Why? Because he's the place where heaven and earth met. And when Jesus begins to do all of his miracles, all of his miracles were done at the temple. Y'all got to read your Bible because that's a lie. Most of Jesus' miracles, in fact, most of them weren't even done in Jerusalem. 75% of his miracles were on or around the Sea of Galilee, not in Jerusalem. That meant that most of his miracles were not done inside church. They happened outside the temple. And then... Jesus ascends, and he sends the Spirit of God, and we become the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, that you, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what we do as Americans, because we make it individualistic, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's, it's true, but when you look at the original language, Paul used the you as plural. So in the north, we would say, you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Below the Mason-Dixon line, y'all are the Holy Spirit's temple. You have to recognize that now when Jesus has ascended, he has given us his spirit. We, the church, become the place where heaven meets earth. Which means that in our lives there ought to be a tangible reality of the presence of God everywhere we go. Because we, as a, we have missions as individuals, but we all have a mission as a community to go into this world. And so we have God and Jeremiah. He's calling Jeremiah. And we often do what Jeremiah says. And now in the old languages, ah, Lord, God. In other words, nope. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. And God is calling him in. And what I love about it, it says right here, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I mean, think about this. He knew Jeremiah was coming even before Jeremiah what is it, was in his mother's room. Before you were even formed, I knew that you were coming. And before I knew that, before you even knew any consciousness, I already had a plan and a purpose for your life. What excites me is this, is it seems like God has this anticipation, not just for people to be born, but to see them jump into the mission that he has for you. I'm so thankful that we're not born on accident, that we just don't happen, that we have a soul, that we are living beings in our mother's wombs, that when we are born. This is more than a pro-life rally. This is a calling that when God has you born, he has mission. He has purpose for you. And he is waiting with anticipation for you to step into that and be a part of what he's up to. That's what he's doing. He wants you to be a part of it. 
And we don't always feel like we're helping. Sometimes we feel like we're doing everything. Like, all right, one of my favorite things, uh, when my kids were little. Now, listen, my, my daughter is, from birth, has been helper to everybody. I promise you, we go to parent-teacher conferences, talk to our youth pastors, kids' pastors. She has always been the type of person that simply says, how can I help? Can I help? When I was at home, anytime I'm doing something, Daddy, can I help? Daddy, can I help? Daddy, can I help? I got to go to pick up something, like I got to leave to go on a trip, so I pick up this big heavy suitcase. Daddy, can I help? And she'll come on over. And how many didn't know she's not really helping? So, but so you got to bend down a little bit lower. And you have to walk at a slower pace, carrying something heavier than what it really should be. And she's got two arms. She's like, ah. And, and then we lift it into the car. And I'm like, how did I do that without, without your help? And she's like, I know. I'm so glad I could help you. And she's running aside. I helped Daddy today. And oh, that's good. Sometimes when we let our kids help, it, sometimes it's a, little, it's a little exhausting. But can I tell you this? When we ask God if we can help, for him, it's exhilarating. Some of you are like, what can I do? We act as if we're going to get in God's way. God is waiting for us to jump into the Missio Day. And I think it's exhilarating when we jump in and we just get a hold of it. I love this quote by Christopher Wright. He says this, mission means the committed participation of God's people and the purpose of God for the redemption of the whole of creation. The mission is God's. The marvel is that God invites us to join him. That's the marvel. The God of the universe says, I've got a plan. You're all invited to be a part of it. Well, I don't have much to give. You're involved. I don't have much talent. You're involved. Uh, nobody specifically asked me. Listen. You're meant to be involved. Some of us are just waiting for God to knock on the door of your heart. I'm here to say, you put your faith in Jesus, that's the knock right there. It's step in and be involved because we all play a part in the mission of God. And stop comparing your part with somebody else's part. You're like, well, I'll never be a Billy Graham. But you know what? You, you might be the person that introduces the next Billy Graham to Jesus. We don't know that guy's name. We don't know that dude's name. We don't know if it's a Sunday school teacher who introduced him to Jesus. What matters is not the role and titles that we carry. It's the faithfulness that we have to God himself. And so God calls Jeremiah. And Jeremiah has something to say about that. Lord, I cannot speak. I'm only 20. I can't speak. I'm only 20. Now granted, I don't think it was necessarily the intimidation of what God was moving in his life to, to, to be. It was looking at the world unraveling around him. For him, Israel was falling apart. They're following the idols. Israel had no moral compass and they were making a bigger mess of the world around him. Does that not sound somewhat familiar to us? In fact, Jeremiah was called what type of prophet? The weeping prophet. Why? Because his heart broke for the world around him. So instead of saying, when do I start? He gives God excuses. He protests to God about his deficiency. And I'm here to say this, that your feelings of deficiency or inefficiency does not eliminate the call that God has placed on your life. When I, when I took over almost 15 years ago here, 
I remember talking with pastors, and they're like, hey, now that you're a lead pastor, you can, you can, maybe you can run for presbyter of the section, or you can do this, you can do this someday. I'm like, oh, why can't I do that today? No, 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 you got to wait your turn. We've been here in this section, you know, we're going to probably be leading the section, and when it's your turn, that's probably the time that maybe they'll choose you to be the presbyter, they'll, they'll choose this role or this role. And I remember just 33 years old, I'm like, I, I thought I've served my time. I, like, I thought I had a moment, and yet I've seen other situations and other church structures for which when you get to be a certain age, you're no longer needed in the church because this church is only for a generation or one generation. And I'm here to say this, that the mission of God is not limited to an age our demographic it is for every single soul for our kids in the back and our babies to the adults in this room if you are breathing you've got mission in your spirits that God is calling you to and so what I love is even though he's got an excuse for God God keeps coming back at him he keeps coming at him I love that why because God has a habit of choosing people for his mission that do not have it all together does anybody in this church not have it all together? Everybody without hands in the air, you're a bunch of liar heads. And what I love about the people that God chooses, it's not only do they not have it all together, but they know they don't have it all together. Let me give you a list of some of these jokers. This is awesome. Abraham. Abraham, was, he was too old. Isaac, he's a daydreamer. Jacob, he's a liar. Noah, he got drunk. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer and he couldn't talk. Gideon was afraid. Samson dealt with lust. Rahab was a prostitute. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Simon Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while Jesus was praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Zacchaeus was too short. I get it, brother. Saul and Paul, Saul slash Paul was a murderer. John lived and dealt with isolation. And I'm here to say this, that we could try to give God an excuse by why we are not efficient enough to be a part of the mission. But when we are in that place, God says, you know what? I'll just not turn your life around, but I will use your pain as a platform to show the glory of God and the mission of God around the world. Come on now. And God says, you don't have to sweat it. Verse 8, I'm going with you. Look what he says. Don't be afraid of their faces. Like, well, the people ugly? No, 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 that's not what he's talking. The countenance, the look they'll give you, the rejection they might give you. Don't be afraid of their countenance, for I am with you to deliver you. The mission of God is here. And this is the beautiful thing about the mission of God, is God does not start the mission when you say yes. He's already at work and he's waiting for you to join him. He's not going to wait for you to say yes. He's going to keep moving. But I don't know why you, wanna, you wouldn't want to say yes. Pastor, I keep praying for revival. Listen, I'm praying for revival, but I'm also entering into a mode of revival. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want people to know Jesus. This past week, uh, there's this young man at the climbing gym. He's like, he's like, Dave, I got a question for you. He said, sure. He says, is your goal to be a priest? I'm like, no. He goes, well, why? I said, I like my wife. <laughs> Literally what I told him. He goes, I guess so. Not to mention the theological differences that are there. 
And next to me is another one of the workers, and she's got this, her eyes are doing this up and down, back and forth, back and forth. And I know what she's doing. She's scrolling through every conversation her and I have ever had. And she leans over and she says, um, I didn't know you were a pastor. I'm like, yeah. She goes, I may have said some things. I may have used some words around you or at you, and I didn't know you were a pastor. And she just kept saying over and over, and she says, why didn't you tell me? I said, because you need to know Dave before you know you knew Pastor Dave. And some of you are waiting like, did she raise her hand right there and accept Christ? No. But this is part of the mission. The part of the, some of us think the mission is just creating converts. Come on. The mission is engaging the world in love and recognizing that you might be, you're not looking for the next notch on your belt, your next spiritual accomplishment. People should not feel like you, they are your spiritual accomplishments. People should feel like they are loved by the tangible presence of Jesus on our lives. That's what it's supposed to be like. Being on mission, because my hope is Sam would not just encounter me as a Christ follower. She'll encounter Ethan. She'll encounter others. And all of a sudden, she'll begin to understand Jesus. Not because she got the Romans road, but because the heaven is on earth in the form of the church. I read this great article by Philip Yanti. He says this, in Cape Town, Olivia, help me, help me be quiet up here. I need you to play. In Cape Town, I met Johanna. Flanders Thomas, a dynamic woman of mixed race. As a stu student, she had uh, agitated against apartheid government. And after a nationwide victory, she turned to a local problem, the most violent prison in South Africa, where Nelson Mandela had spent eight years of confinement. And she started visiting prisoners daily, bringing them a simple gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation. She earned their trust, got them to talk about their, about their abusive childhoods, and showed them a better way of resolving conflicts. The year before her visits began, the prison recorded 279 acts of violence against inmates and guards. The next year, there were two. Her results attracted the attention of BBC producers who sent a camera crew to film a two one-hour documentaries. And so this author watched it. He says, I met Joanna and her husband at a restaurant on the waterfront of Cape Town. I've seen the documentaries and I still don't get it. These guys are monsters, rapists, murderers. And from what I can see, you were simply holding Bible studies, pray, uh, playing trust games, and having prayer meetings. What happened to transform Polymore, uh, Polesmore Prison? Joanna looked up and said without thinking. Well, of course, Philip. God was already present in the prison. I just had to make him visible. Pastor, I'm going to bring God to my workplace. I need you to give, give you a little, little notice. He's already there. It's just time for you to make him visible. He's already at the school. He's already on the team. You just got to make him visible. I met a guy. He was a Dallas Cowboys uh, chaplain. And I'm like, thank God they need Jesus more than anybody. But you know what he's there doing? He's not bringing God to the cowboys. He's making God visible. The mission of God. It's not about drumming up something that God is not already doing. He is at work. And it's up to us to have a prophetic imagination, a look, and dare to say, God, tell me what you're up to. And I want to be a part of that. 
You see, good missional theology and practice believes that wherever we go, God's already working. We don't bring God anywhere. Rather, we discover through prayer and conversation where God has been at work. Because when God is doing His part, our part is always possible. When we, when God's doing His part, I'm just going to tell you, Jesus did the hardest part. All we got to do is follow behind what He did. It's like Midland, Michigan, I'm telling you what, our home for seven years, it is one of the most beautiful places in the fall. It's Tree City, USA. But with the tree comes a whole lot of raking. And so I would announce, hey, I'm going out to rake, and the kids always followed. And so I've got the big rake, and I'm just raking and raking. And there's Cammie with her little rake, Ethan had a little rake, and they're coming behind me grabbing me, grabbing like the one leaf that I didn't get. And that lasted a good five minutes until all of a sudden they see the pile on top of the tarp and they got to jump on the tarp because Lord knows it's not heavy enough with all of the wet leaves and drag it all to the curb and we just rinse and repeat all day. But that's what I begin to think of when I think about the work that Jesus has done. Jesus has done the heavy lifting. Some of us, you put so much pressure on your hearts to have to save the entire world. Not, God's not asking you to save the entire world. He's asking you to go and to do and to follow behind all of the work that He's already doing. Just be faithful with where you're at. And be faithful to the callings placed on your life. I'm believing that God will call missionaries out of this church to go into the, the four corners of this earth. But we will never be that type of mindset without a, by ignoring where He's called us to first. The mission is possible because Jesus, He's done the heavy lifting. He's done the work. He's given you the power. The Spirit of God was not given upon churches for us just to exercise giftings in the body. The Spirit of God wasn't given to bedazzle a service. The Spirit of God was given that we would be powerful witnesses in the Missio Day of God. So wherever you are, whatever field you're in, be faithful. So if you're a teacher, be faithful in your field. If you're a CFO, be faithful. If you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're an office manager, whatever role that you play, God has placed you in the severest of influences and in those fields for a reason. And just simply say this. Don't say, God, follow me here. What you need to say is, God, you're here already. How can I help? And yet, like Jeremiah, we can often protest God and tell him why we can't do it. That was my testimony when I argued with God till 11 o'clock in the evening on a Sunday night because I, my God, I'm a stutterer. I'm not a leader. I'm an introvert. I'm quiet. I told my youth pastor that I wanted to preach and he gave me a broom and he made me clean up after services. I don't know, maybe he doesn't see much in me. I gave God every excuse in the world that some of us are so busy giving God excuses. What about my medical condition? What about this situation? What about that situation? What about this and what about that? We're so busy trying to find excuses rather than simply being faithful and say, God, use me, fill me, flow through me. And God, change the world around me and let, the, let this revival hit this city like never before. Not because we had good Sundays, but because we have a good church that's faithful to ask God, what are you up to and can I be a part of that? I want you to have a missional imagination. I want you to start imagining prophetically, I'll use that word, when you're in prayer every single morning, and I'm hoping that every morning you just start off in prayer. It doesn't have to be long. Just connect with God. Talk with God. Open up your scriptures. Pray through whatever you're reading. But would you dare to ask God every single day this month, 
every morning, God, what are you up to? How can I help? And let your imagination just begin to flow. Man, what would happen? What would happen if, if I was kind to that person at work that's never kind to anybody? What about that person I keep passing by that I know has some needs and I've just been tossing thoughts and prayers and thoughts and prayers are fantastic. But I need to be a doer of the word and so God, as I'm praying, what are you doing? You've shown me that person. I want to help meet that and meet a need in that person's life. God, what are you up to? And all of a sudden you have a family that pops up in your neighborhood that you have never met. And so all, all of a sudden, God, what do you want me to do? Go meet them. You don't have to walk up to them and give them a bunch of tracks. Please don't do that. But meet them. God, what are you up to? God shows you your spouse. Because sometimes it's easier to show a stranger the love of Jesus and not the people that we love most. God, what are you up to? How can I help? My prayer is that your imagination would just begin to explode with the missio day. The mission of God. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit of God, we ask you those two questions today. What are you up to? Show us what you're up to. Show us what you're doing. And how can we help? That you would convict our hearts for thinking this is for somebody else. This is for a different generation. This is for a different person. This is for a, an individual that has got better abilities, better talents. My schedule's too busy for this, God. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just convict our hearts and excite our hearts to dare to ask you those questions. What are you up to, God? Holy Spirit, what are you up to? What can I do to be a part of that? How can I be faithful to what you want me to do? Because we believe, Jesus, that you equip those you call. When we think we have no words, you'll give us the words. When you think that we have no wisdom, you'll give us the wisdom. When we think we don't have the knowledge, you'll give us a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom in that moment. When we think that we don't have the capacity, God, you deepen our capacity. But Lord, we want to be a part of the Missio Day, Letting people know that when they're living in darkness, that they don't have to live that way any longer. We have been given a light to this world. And we ourselves, as the church, are meant to be a city on a hill. A light that cannot be hidden. Lord, impress this upon our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you grab the communion elements if you would? I thought no better way than to celebrate the Missio Day by looking at the mission that Jesus was on. Living it out. Living out the Father's will. Traversing in His Spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane. When He just said, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to do the mission, let it be. But you know what, Lord? It's, it's Your will and it's not my will. And on that night of His betrayal, He took the bread. And He said, this is my body which is broken for you. It's part of the mission a broken body that we might be made whole. How powerful is that? The wholeness, well, is that for some people? This is for everybody. 
If you need to hold this, hold this this morning, maybe in your body, in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, I'm going to speak healing over your life before we partake of the bread. Jesus, I thank you for the healing virtue that you offer. Divine healing is something that we firmly believe in in this church. You can heal the brokenness of our hearts. You can heal the brokenness of our bodies. Lord, you can heal, Lord, and I've received it, the healing of our emotions when we're at wit's end. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed yourself to be torn apart, that our lives could be put back together. We embrace the bread this, this morning, and we say thank you, Jesus, for stepping in and being obedient to Missio Day. We speak that in Jesus' name. Would you eat the bread? That same night, he grabbed the cup, and he said, this is the New Testament of my blood. Here's the mission. Genesis chapter 3, it was skin placed over shame. We get to the Gospels. It's not skin, it's blood. Like a fresh shower over a grimy life. His blood is what covers us. It saves us. It redeems us. And it's power that transforms us. And so Jesus, we thank you for the cup. The beauty of your majesty. Asking you, you, Lord, that you would do such a cleansing work in us. That we feel such hope, such awe of what you've done that it can't help but move us to the place where we can't keep it to ourselves that we have to live out Missio Dei. In every facet of our world that people would see heaven come to earth through your church, the temple. We speak that in Jesus' name. Would you partake of the cup? Hallelujah. Could we stand together? Could we just hold out our arms before the Lord today and say thank you? Could we just hold out our arms? If you feel comfortable just holding out your arms like you're ready to receive something. Lord, we just receive your grace and your goodness today. Lord, we receive, Lord, the mercy, the unmerited favor, God, that you so richly lavish upon your people. We receive it, Lord. But we also receive is that Missio Day, the marching orders to go into our world, our county, our cities, our areas, God. Not to bring you anywhere, but to give a revelation of the invisible God, to give a visible reality of who you are. That people would taste and see and know how good you are. So Lord, we just celebrate you. And everything you've said and done today, send us into a missional imagination for the world, our homes, our workplaces, our schools, and let it transform us in such a way that we can't live any other way. We have hope because, God, you are up to something, and we choose to be a part of it. We speak that all in Jesus' name. We pray, and everyone said, give God a hand clap of praise this morning.